the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy April 8th. John Podhoritz nails it, and so I yield to him. It was said of the late actress Sylvia Miles, who spent her nights going from event to event in New York, that she would attend the opening of an envelope. U.S. government virus guru Anthony Fauci has very little in common with Sylvia Miles. He wasn't nominated twice for an Oscar, for example. But he has become as ubiquitous a public presence over the past year in all media as Miles was at every party. Every day, and it seems for hours a day, Fauci pops up, pops up on cable shows or in interviews with major journalists. And the blue check Twitterati amplifies messages through social media. He is inescapable. And the problem with his inescapability is that unlike Sylvia Miles, it matters deeply what he says and does. And it's now clear that our epidemiologist general can't restrain himself from speaking and speaking and speaking, even when he doesn't have anything much to add and when his contributions muddy and confuse and dishearten rather than reassure and rally the public. It's as if Sylvia Miles not only attended the opening of every envelope, but insisted on opening each envelope herself while stripping nude. Just this week, a Fauci went on MSNBC's Morning Joe and suggested that a fourth wave of the pandemic was not about to start, but it could, it really could, if people didn't do what he was telling them to do, by which he meant hanging in there and continuing to follow all the prescriptions of the past year, social distancing, mask wearing, no collective gathering. Then Willie Geist of Morning Joe pointed out that Texas had relaxed its mandates and saw no surge of cases. Fauci replied, quote, it can be confusing because you may see a lag and a delay because often you have to wait a few weeks before you see the effect of what you're doing right now, close quote. But using Fauci's own standards, it had already been a couple of weeks since the change. And as Texas Governor Greg Abbott noted, the poverty, the positivity rate in the Lone Star State has fallen, not risen. How to explain this? I'm not really quite sure, Fauci said. It could be they're doing things outdoors. The only thing that makes logical sense here is Fauci saying he's not really quite sure. Ordinarily, people do, who don't have an answer to a question don't continue to answer it with, uh, with the answer they gave earlier when it may no longer be applicable. But Fauci can't keep himself from the mic even when he has nothing to add. Or he adds things that are only designed to dispirit everyone save those who want to remain on lockdown forever. Even as he trumpets the extraordinary numbers of vaccinations going on every day, he undercuts the effort to get the hesitant to vaccinate by saying that life won't be getting back anywhere near close to normal anywhere near any time soon. In an interview on Monday with the Politico Dispatch podcast, Fauci said it wouldn't be until late fall or early winter that people will be able to congregate 
maskless. Let me put this charitably. This is a self-defeating and insane thing to say at a time when our clearest path forward from the vaccine is to get those hesitant to take the jabs to do so because it's in their best interest. Is Fauci suggesting that even if you get vaccinated, you're not you're going to be in a mask in a movie theater or a Broadway theater or just about any place indoors until 2022? If so, then why on earth would a frightened person bite the bullet, take the risk and accept the needle? This is a deep strain in public health thinking that it's a virtue to keep people scared. But with the day fast approaching when there will be more vaccine available than takers of the vaccine, what Fauci needs to be doing is sweetening the pot, even if it means that the invitations to the envelope openings are going to slow way down. I'd like to say something more, if I might, on United, or rather, I'd like to give Tucker Carlson props for what he said about it last night. Forgive the long quoting here, but this is Tucker. What is this equity that is now our country's main reason for existing? We know it's not the same as equality or even closely related. In the name of equity, for example, the Biden administration supports open discrimination against Asian college applicants. They're Asian, therefore they, can, they can't get into school. It's that simple. We used to call that kind of behavior racism and had laws against it. Now we call it equity and we have laws demanding it. Turns out that racism and equity are pretty much the same thing. Who knew? Here's the latest illustration of the principle, and it comes not from the Biden administration, but from United Airlines. United used to be a conventional commercial air carrier. It flew airplanes from place to place, most of the time uneventfully. That was the old United Airlines. The new United is very different. It's a combination of a hyper-aggressive corporate HR department and a left-wing political action committee. The new United is big on moral pronouncements and mandatory social engineering. United has embraced equity. Here's its latest directive spelled out the day before yesterday on Twitter. Quote, our flight deck should reflect the diverse group of people on board our airplanes every day. That's why we plan for 50% of the 5,000 pilots we train in the next decade to be women or people of color. Close quote. United Airlines is mandating affirmative action quotas in its flight schools. This is a big change for the country. When Coca-Cola embraces some equity scheme, you can understand why. But airlines are different. An airline pilot transports hundreds of people at a time in a thin-walled metal tube going nearly 600 miles an hour, 35,000 feet off the ground. Flying a commercial airline is dangerous. Like performing heart surgery, no matter how many times you've done it, it's inherently high stakes. People die if you screw up. In the airline business, as in medicine, not killing people is all that matters. So how will racial and gender quotas make United Airlines safer? That's the only question that matters. The company's CEO went on CBS recently to explain. CBS reporter, quote, Only 7% of United pilots are women, one of the highest percentage in the industry, and only 13% of its pilots are people of color. Scott Kirby, United CEO. Well, they simply don't have access or opportunity. Reporter, in an exclusive interview with CBS News, the United CEO, Scott Kirby, is announcing a new effort to bring balance to the flight deck. 
Kirby, we're excited to announce this academy to address the structural issues with the makeup of our pilots. If 100% of United Pilots were black women or Malaysian Muslims, or for that matter, white men from Alabama, not a single sane person would complain about it as long as the airlines didn't crash. Safety is all that matters. But you'll notice the CEO of United didn't mention safety. Safety is no longer the airline's top concern. Identity politics is. United will dispute that characterization, of course. In fact, they already have. Quote, United Airlines will continue to uphold its high standards, close quote. But they're lying. We know they're lying. And you know it, too. Because in the airline business, there's only one standard that matters, and it's not race or gender. It's competence. The way people look is totally irrelevant. How they perform is all that matters. Once you forget that, airplanes crash. Everyone knows that's true. Very much, including the people who run this country. Many of them just don't fly United. They don't even fly commercial. They use NetJets, the largest private airline in the world. Has NetJets embraced equity or hiring quotas? Of course not. Check out the NetJets website if you have a minute. They'll tell you exactly what they're looking for in an airline pilot they hire. Here's the first line. Quote, we seek individuals who demonstrate an unwavering dedication to safety, close quote. That's the first requirement on their list. We couldn't find any mention of race or gender. That shouldn't surprise you because, once again, race and gender are literally irrelevant to who flies your airplane. Nancy Pelosi and John Kerry and the rest of our private jet-dependent ruling class know that perfectly well. They won't be demanding quotas at NetJets anytime soon. Their families fly on NetJets airplanes, after all. So if hiring on the basis of irrelevant criteria will, over time, get people killed, why are they demanding it? Because they don't care. They're ideologues. They're suffering from an incurable brain disease called wokeness. Reality means nothing to them. It's merely an impediment to their plans. The CEO of United is saying that we need to replace the pilots currently flying airplanes because they're the wrong skin color. Only diseased people think like this. Imagine if we applied the same standard to other professions. How about professional sports? African-American men account for roughly 6% of the American population, yet about 75% of players in the NBA are black men. That doesn't sound like equity. It sounds like what the Department of Justice refers to as a disproportionate representation. So what if, to remedy the lack of equity, the NBA announced tomorrow that going forward, at least half of its players had to be white, Asian, Hispanic, or female to better represent the fans in the stands. How would we respond to that? We'd understand immediately, and we would say so, that it's a racist policy. No one had even alleged that NBA players were doing a bad job. We'd all assume correctly, as we do with airline pilots, that the players were hired in the first place because they were the very best players the NBA could find. But nevertheless, they had to be replaced because they were the wrong race and gender. That's sick. You think it couldn't happen? Why wouldn't it happen? By the logic of identity politics, it has to happen. NBA players make a lot more than airline pilots. At some point, someone will notice that. That's the whole problem with this diseased way of thinking. You don't want to live in a completely racialized country where a person's genetics are the most important thing about them, where you are dehumanized and reduced to your DNA. But that's exactly the society they're creating. And what's the result of what they're doing? Every action provokes a reaction. That's the most basic principle in physics 
And when you attack people for qualities they can't control over time, you will make them radical. That's guaranteed. You've got to wonder if it's ever occurred to the morons pushing this equity garbage that everyone on earth has an identity. If you make identity politics mandatory, and they have, how long until you get white identity politics? Ever consider that, you reckless fools? How long before there is no national identity at all? Only warring tribes fighting each other for the spoils. Does anyone want to raise children in a society like that? Only the racists want that. But that's exactly where they're pushing us and at high speed. A couple of years ago, it was reported that the FAA had lowered its standards in order to bring equity to air traffic control. As part of that initiative, the FAA began administering something called biographical questionnaires to applicants. This is significant for all the people tempted to believe United or the U.S. military when they say they're not lowering standards by bringing equity to the process. They are, by definition. Candidates were asked whether they got mostly A's in high school. If they answered yes, they got five points. Candidates were also asked if they'd been unemployed for the past three years. If they answered yes to that question, you got ten points. They got double the points for three years of unemployment as they did for getting straight A's. How does that make us safer? That's a rhetorical question, obviously. It merely divides and endangers us. But that's equity. Thank you, Tucker Carlson. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. A day like today, a song like that, you kind of want to be outside by the pool sipping a non-Coke product, huh? Yeah. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. That's exactly the kind of song, by the way, you would crank on a boombox in the 80s when we did things like that. That kind of song just had the right drive. That's called Arizona Beach Music. Arizona Beach Music. Joe Biden today did something we probably most of us thought was coming. And it came. It was the use of the word epidemic to describe gun violence in America. Uh, Joe Biden announced executive actions to curb gun violence. Epidemic is the headline in CBS News. And the reason many of us worried about this, or should be worried now, is that that word epidemic doesn't mean to us what it used to mean up until about this time last year. Up until this time last year, we thought an epidemic referred to a, uh, uh, an expansion, an increase in cases of a disease over what one would normally expect. It has come to mean... Over the last year, since then, it has come to mean the word to be invoked to declare all form of a constitutional emergency powers that can restrict things as deeply embedded in our Bill of Rights as church attendance that can affect things as deeply burned into 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Western economic civilized practice, which is the right to earn a living for yourself and your family. It is a word that has come to stand for the government being able to control indoor and outdoor and interstate travel. That's what the word epidemic has come to mean over the last year. For if it were merely about a disease, you would not quarantine, suffocate, and punish the unsick. You would not impose sanctions on the well if epidemic simply meant the containment of a virus. You would not rob people of their ability to earn a living. You would not shut down our nation's schools, especially when you knew that the disease would not affect them any worse than anything else children have been subject to and, in fact, would affect them much less to things that they are subject to and have been. If it were about just containing the disease, schools would not have been closed, all businesses would not have been shut, and the elderly and the obese would not have been treated the same as the non-elderly and non-obese. And so epidemic is a word that brings with it much comminatory fright, especially when it is directly invoked to talk about another one of the Bill of Rights, namely the Second Amendment. So you have now combined in Joe Biden's work today the issuance of a word that stands for the strongest of government powers and usurpations of constitutional rights in an effort to curb something that invokes the Second Amendment, the individual right to own firearms. There are two considerations that Democrats must be making just about now. And one is, how much do we want to do this to the American people? How much do we want to be Beto O'Rourke? And how much do we want to not lose the House and Senate in 2022? I'll have more to say about this when we come back. But I am surprised, I have to tell you, that with an administration doing so much unwell, that they would push on this today, too. A lot more on this when we come back. We'll be right back. Charles Cook at National Review writes, all of the policy meet in Joe Biden's executive order today sits on guns, sits within the section titled Reiterating His Call for Congress to Pass Legislation, which given that there aren't enough votes in the Senate for gun control, means that none of the items included in there there are likely to happen. Everything else in the release uh, from the White House today smacks of a sideshow. Uh, Joe Biden contends that homemade ghost guns are a growing problem and teases a 
proposed rule to help stop the proliferation of these firearms, as if the gangs that have learned to make such weapons will be meaningfully dissuaded by slightly tighter regulations, as if firearms are more dangerous when they lack a serial number, and as if 3D printing hasn't already rendered any effort to superintend this area moot. He promises a proposed rule to make clear when a device marketed as a stabilizing brace effectively turns a pistol into a short-barreled rifle. An interesting semantic topic, but one with no connection whatsoever to the murder rate. He expresses, he expresses his intention to devise public model red flag legislation that states can pass if they wish, which they won't. He notes that his administration is investing in evidence-based community violence inventions and interventions and vows that the Justice Department will issue an annual report on firearms trafficking, both of which are innocuous enough but don't really fit within the gun control debate. Finally, he nominated gun control activist David Chipman to serve as ATF director. Chipman is genuinely bad news. But if personnel were truly policy in this area, then Biden wouldn't be as frustrated as he is. The president's proposals put him firmly in the worst of both worlds in that they confer few substantive advantages while yielding serious political risk. Naturally, Biden cannot say in public that what he's doing here is merely for show. On the contrary, he has obliged himself to pretend that the measures he's outlined are meaningful and to use dramatic self-aggrandizing language when selling them. He says things like the pre- he says things like this has nothing to do with the second amendment. This has nothing to do with gun ownership's rights. Why? Why? Because he knows that the new trope is to win an argument as best you can. You make it about patriotism and not about politics. You remove the most political of issues like they do with any number of things and say this is not about politics. This is not about red and blue. This is about red, white, and blue. Every pro-gun voter in the country, back to uh, Charlie Cook, every pro-gun voter in the country was just informed by the President of the United States that he has decided to bypass Congress and take executive action to advance gun control. At the same time, less engaged voters who are accustomed to being informed that nothing is ever done about guns are being led by the president's own language to believe that that's no longer true. And for what? The application of a set of possibly illegal rule changes to a set of marginal problems, the issuing of a handful of bureaucratic reports, and the nomination of an unlikable activist who will probably be unable to get Senate confirmation. Gun control activists have an irritating and self-destructive habit of urging Democrats to pass the most extreme restrictions they can think up while telling the opponents of those restrictions that they need to calm down because those restrictions are not going to get through Congress. For eight years, between 2009 and 2017, gun controllers asked Obama to back their agenda, which he did publicly and repeatedly. Then, once Obama had left office, they derisively asked Second Amendment advocates what they had been so worried about, given that Thanks to his opponent's success, Obama had managed to do nothing. This too-clever-by-half approach may have excited hyper-political types on Twitter, but in the real world, it led to confusion and defeat. If there's one thing 
Democrats should have learned over the last decades is that there is no upside for them when they make an issue of gun control but achieve nothing of consequence from their efforts. Every time that a Barack Obama says we need to prohibit the most commonly owned rifle in America or a Beto O'Rourke says he backs confiscation or a Dianne Feinstein introduces the same bill she's introduced every year since 1993 or the Giffords campaign makes limiting the Second Amendment an issue in a conservative-leaning state, gun sales increase, the NRA gets new members, more states loosen their rules, and the facts on the ground change once again. Let's hope. Let's hope. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You ever sleep past noon in your life, Bill? I I don't think I – maybe – no, I don't think I ever have. I was thinking of maybe one incident, but no. And it was like in 1987. <laughs> but no, I don't think I ever have. You pulled the mic closer as if you were going to weigh in. Not since my overnight radio days. Oh, well, that's different. That's different on a regular schedule. If that schedule. counts, yeah. yeah. 602-508-0960. Jeff is in Phoenix. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, you there? Hey. hey. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry about that. That's okay. Hey, a um, couple things I wanted to tell you. Um, you know, this whole thing about the, now the CEOs are they're, they're worse in their opinion, you know, using their CEO no, name right behind their opinion, you know. Yep. And when you spoke about the athletes, this is coming to see them too, and they don't even see, the, they don't even see it coming at them. It's a train, and it's coming full bore now. This whole wokeness, all this uh, utopia, this perfection that these people are looking for, They'll never find it, and they're going to keep attacking and attacking and attacking, and they'll attack the people that make the money first. And they're going to come after these athletes as well, just like they've come after the people in Hollywood. Now, you can't play a certain character in Hollywood as an actor if you're not that race or you're not that sex or you're not this or you're not that. I mean, it's come. It, they're all going to get their own. It's all going to come see them. How, uh, how do you see it manifest against some of the NBA? I assume you mean players, right? Oh yeah, well the players. That's it. I mean, who's you know? There's going to be eventually. There's going to be people out there saying, "Well, how come there's there's not uh, you have a disproportionate of people on the court of a certain race? Why isn't there Asians? Why aren't there Indians? Why aren't there these? And we need them out here. And that's what's going to happen. It is going to dilute. Everything's being diluted because we're not looking anymore at. Who does the best? That's why I can't watch sports, because sports used to be about who who was the best on the field. You didn't get any kind of charity. But now it's going to be all different. And if it isn't, if it isn't, but I think you're onto something here, Jeff. But if it isn't um, isn't done, um, if it isn't done, we are going to continue to live with a supreme hypocrisy between what. Uh, athletic institutions ask of America and what they will accept for themselves. They will not accept for themselves what they're asking for the rest of America. If they do cave, which and your scenario sounds uh, as, as as plausible as any, if they do cave to other minority interest groups, other persons of color uh, demanding uh, represent proportional or, or, or some other form of representation, if they do, that's the end of the game. 
That's oh yeah. That's the end of that sport. And you're but right. See, this, they'll have written. Every, they'll have written their own death warrant. You're right about that. Everything. Everything these people are doing has to come to a conclusion. There. If you. If anybody would actually think critically and think about a conclusion of where their ridiculous arguments are going, and at some point you you want. You want people that have – you don't look at them and you can't see their gender. You can't see their color. This is their whole hypocrisy. You know, we want these drones out there. Basically, everyone's exactly the same. Everyone thinks exactly the same. You don't ever speak out and you're told what to do, what to wear, when to go, what that – I mean, it's ridiculous. It'll never happen because at some point people will say, I'm fed up and I won't take it anymore. I think you're right about that, Jeff. And, you know, one great test – for morality and public policy, or at least consistency, which I think is a form of morality when it comes to public policy, is the Lincoln test. When Abraham Lincoln said, what continues to, amaze, what continues to amaze me is that I have never met an advocate for slavery who is willing to try it for himself. And exactly. I think that's the moral, the moral public policy test, is whatever you are advocating – is it something you yourself uh, – you would impose upon yourself? And uh, clearly the NBA cannot answer that question uh, uh, with, with, in the affirmative. Clearly they are resisting this. Clearly if they weren't, 75 percent of the NBA would not be African-American or black men. Well, the reason that people – the reason that the NBA is the NBA is because they are the best basketball That's players. right. The men that are – that's the men that are out there, I'm not. I'm saying all of them. Yep, they're the best right now. You bet. They're the best, and there's the best football players on the football. You field. bet, because we take athletics change. seriously in this country, or had. Yeah, but yeah. you look at the high schools; they're changing the high schools yep. already. Yep. they're letting this just like just like what Asa Hutchinson did yesterday, and it all goes back to t and all this stuff. They're changing it. Yeah, they're changing it. So I want to make one more tell you one more thing, and this is some good news. I hope. So anyway. So I signed up to be a precinct committeeman. I never, I said I was going to do it a long time ago. I never did, and I, I did it. And so I've been waiting for the response from, I was, I'm an LD24, and um, they said, uh, well, there's a, there's a holdup for some reason at the Board of Supervisors. So I've been calling the supervisors all the time. Uh, Steve Churchy's assistant did call me back. I have to give her props because, out of all the phone calls I've made to the Board of Supervisors, and it's been at least 50 or more, it's only one phone call I've ever gotten back. So she gave me, and she told me that, yeah, they had a little glitch, but they did approve the precinct committeemen, and there was in two sections. I was in the first section, and then they did another section. So here's the numbers. Out of, uh, they, she sent me a whole list here uh, for the first section, and out of Democrats and Libertarians, there were 27 new ones. Out of this list of Republicans, there's 373. Wow. 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 And I talked to another gentleman in my neighborhood last night, and he has the whole – he had the numbers for both lists, and he said, it's, he said it's over 700 new Republican precinct committeemen and less than 100 of the others. That is good news, Jeff. So someone's hearing something, and good. someone's going out and doing something. So we have one chance, and it's this next election. God bless you for saying that. You're right. You're right. That's it. Jeff, thanks for doing it. My gosh, thanks for stepping up and doing it. That is wonderful news to uh, hear about you and wonderful news to hear about those numbers.
Before I hit the break, let me put in a word for my friend Solar Sandy, and she is a friend. Uh, she is the one who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. The difference between Solar Sandy and other solar companies is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. She's got integrity and smarts. It's important when you go solar, you do it the right way. That's who Solar Sandy is, the right way. She has the formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back into your pocket. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months. And in a tribute to March Madness, Solar Sandy's promotion for the first 50 families, they will receive a $1,000 signing bonus. No solar panel payment, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. There's no better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Again, that's AskSolarSandy.com. I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Dave is in surprise. Hello, Dave. Uh, thank you so much for taking the call. Peter. Of course. Of course. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to, to chime in a little bit on what Jeff said. I, too, um, replied to be a PC in 22 back in august and at my last meeting they announced that less than 40 percent of the republicans statewide had been approved that there was a quote-unquote glitch in the system so we we just continue to to apply every month and see if they can somehow work out the kinks magically i think all the democrats have I've seen their appointments go through, but it is what it is. Okay, okay, all right, yeah. good, good. Stay at it. But, yeah, absolutely. So I, I heard on the way in today, on the way to work, um, about, you know, Biden's little presser announcement, you know, the, the request for states to enact, enact red, red laws across the board. So I'm going to leave work a little early today, and I'm going to go buy as many guns and ammo as <laughs> yeah. I can. Yeah, I, I, I don't I, – I... Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, let's see what 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 did this this Cameron Kimsey tweet today? Uh, this is precious. Uh, Joe Biden wants to make background checks stronger. Meanwhile, his son Hunter lied on his background check for a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great point. This may not have been the right month for Joe Biden to be doing this. Well, I, I, it's always the right month for us to exercise our Second Amendment. I agree with that. I agree with that. Doesn't burn as many calories as I'd like it to, but it's <laughs> still pretty fun, right? <laughs> what do you do to burn calories? I'm curious, Dave. What's your exercise of choice? Uh, I do push-ups every morning, yeah. and I, I work out with dumbbells. I don't pay to go to uh, meat markets anymore. Yeah. I used to do that, but I fought with people to get on actual equipment and get work done. So I have an exercise ball and a couple 25-pound dumbbells. And I do shoulder presses and uh, and curls and and stuff and and I lay down and do butterflies to do my inner pecs and that's about it. Nice, you know? nice work, good work. I love it. I love stories of physical fitness. I'm, I love knowing what people do to stay in shape. That's great, Dave. Thank you. Have a blessed day, sir. Yeah, Thank you, you betcha. You have a blessed day as well. Uh, one of the um, one of the. Uh, it's so funny, Arizona. We are so blessed in so many ways to have. Not only local experts, but um, really national experts, people of nas uh, national prominence. And uh, Mark Lamb, Sheriff Mark Lamb, is one of those people. 
He uh, He's the sheriff here in Pinal County. And we had him on a couple weeks ago. I wanted to get an update from the border on him since the mainstream media seems to not be covering it. I want to see what Mark Lamb is seeing and uh, tell you about his great book as well, American Sheriff, Traditional Values in a Modern World. Mark Lamb coming right up.